We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey everybody, Value Add with K&K, Crystal Kenny here. Just want to say thank you so much for the support, for listening, um, the comments, everything. Keep it up. We'll keep going as long as we can. And if you like what you're listening to, like what you're watching, uh, tell your friends about it, leave us a review, maybe even give us five stars. We love those. That's how we can grow and continue to bring you guys value and spread the word. Thanks, guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Value Out with K&K. Today, we got the myth, the man, the legend, Mikey Taylor in the house. What's going on? What's going on? Um, I got to list this all out because I'm not going to be able to say it. So Mikey is an ex-pro skater, co-founder of St. Archer, influencer, speaker, real estate investor, and all-around amazing dude. Um, Thanks, Mikey, for coming yeah, on. Of course. Yeah, I've actually, um, so I always like to say how I found you, which okay. you probably won't even guess. Um, it wasn't actually through Tim, um, Peter Vood. Oh yeah. He did an interview. I follow him, which I'd like to get him on. And, um, I saw you and then you guys started talking about like investing in real estate and how you're about to pass the cash flow and all these yeah. people. And I was like immediately drawn, like, Oh my gosh, this guy's on like our vibe. That's what we preach every day. Yeah. So, um, and then I ended up following you and you're actually pretty cool. Cause you respond to people. Which yeah. A lot of people don't. And yeah. then, um, I posted something about that, and Tim said, hey, I know Mikey, and then we ended up chatting, and I don't know, we're six months, we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, the, the world got a lot smaller when social media hit. Social like, media has really, like, you can now see, like, the connections between people, because we did, like, a Instagram ad, too, recently, and we got I got a call off of it, and, and then it turned out that he's really close friends with another one of our friends that was here on the podcast and that Kenny's done a ton of financing for. So it just kind of all comes full circle when you realize like the, the world is a lot smaller. Well, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you have access to anyone. Yeah. Like you don't know if they're going to respond, but you can attempt to get a hold of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, beyond I me, mean, dude, you can take a shot at Beyonce. Like, I try and get a hold of her. Yeah. You don't know where yeah. to go, you know? Yeah, right? yeah. I don't know she's going to open, but yeah. Yeah. No, yeah it's it's crazy. And you're right. That was never possible before. No, never. Yeah. No. It's, I think, I think if it's used in the right way, which you're using it and we try to, I mean, we don't have an influence like you, but it's like, you can have an influence, but it's, it's cool. A lot of people don't use it in the right way, mm-hmm. but I think the people that are, it's, it's amazing what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think people are getting smarter too with social media because I think now more than ever, social media kind of shows, I mean, Gary Vee says that all the time and that it shows who you really are. Yeah. And so people are getting smarter too, to like some of the sales tactics or people yeah. who aren't genuine and all that. So I think that's pretty cool that it's social media is also evolving too, to become yeah. a platform where people can be more themselves yeah. or you can definitely sniff it out. Yeah. I actually think it's real similar to money, actually. It's yeah. like, you know, money can be like a phenomenal tool mm-hmm. or it could be something that just destroys you. Right. Right. Social media is like very similar yeah. when you think about it. I think it. if it's you're like, a jerk without money, you're it like. It just intensifies who you are once you have it. a bigger it, right? jerk with money. Same thing. Dude, <laughs> yeah. think about it. Social media would be the same thing. Like yeah. you might be like on the surface, like somebody who seems okay and then you get a big following and you watch that person change and all of a sudden they're different or, yep. I mean, think about how many people's lives you, you hear about like being destroyed because of social media, even if it's not on a following level, like you have kids like killing themselves That's now crazy. because photos aren't engaging. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, yeah. So it's like, it can be something that's, I mean, dude, incredibly powerful or mm-hmm. devastating just depending on how you're using it, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, Crazy world we live in. It oh, is. You know? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know you, can you kind of just give a quick story, your background, five minutes, two minutes, three minutes? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, How you landed here. Yeah. So I landed here. Uh, I started off as a pro skateboarder. Um, I skateboarded for, professionally for about 15 years. Uh, through my journey, I was uh, really entrepreneurial. Uh, and truthfully, I was just trying to figure out a, a, an opportunity to get me outside of cr- uh, my skateboarding career when it ended. Uh, so I started my own brands. Uh, and then at that point, my there was a point when my career ended about three years ago. And I went through an identity crisis of what to do uh, mm-hmm. after everything I cared about was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that led me to uh, starting a real estate fund. Uh, oddly enough, I never thought that would be what I did. But when I was skating... You know, I was – this is shit. This is going to go along in five minutes. But anyway, no when I was skating, I was making all my money skating, right? And at 21, that was my talent, was doing mm-hmm. kickflips and tray flips. You're like, this is who I am. It, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's the only way I knew how to make money. Like I, yeah. I said, truthfully, I didn't know how to make money. I was just making money because I was good at skating. Mm-hmm. And at, at 21, there was a fear that I wasn't going to be able to go out and make money after that. So I was on this – like I was almost forced to figure out how to get my money to make money for me without me working. Mm-hmm. And that started with real estate. I started investing in real estate at an early age. And once I experienced money coming in, when I didn't have to do anything, it was like, okay, yeah. this is my way out. This is my security blanket. Mm-hmm. So I started investing really heavily throughout my whole career. And then when my career ended, uh, it was pretty sudden and all my income went away. And that was the thing that put me in a position to not have to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I was working through all the emotional identity crisis and all, all my everything that went into my career ending, uh, I looked back and went, you know what? I'm in a very fortunate place because I learned about money at a young age and started paying attention to it when my career was still on the rise. And so I wanted to do something for, really it started wanting to do something for my friends that were still skating and giving them an opportunity to like participate in investing and understanding money and not spending more than you make. And, uh, And that's what led me to here. And now a big part of my world is, is I mean I shouldn't say big part. My world now is real estate investing. I feel like there are so many athletes. I think it's becoming less and less now. I think more more and more athletes are starting to think about what happens after because this is not forever. Like this nope. dream is awesome and it's amazing and I have so many opportunities, but it's not going to last forever. But before I feel like there's so many athletes that we I've even met just out like and about doing things where you see they're like broke. And depressed because yeah. they didn't think about that. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that you were able to like help your friends who maybe didn't have that foresight or didn't have some kind of defining moment where they were like, I need to think about what I'm going to do yeah. after this dream ends. Yeah. Everybody wakes up at a certain point and the dream is over. 100%. And the, the, the stats are still high. Like the, the percentage of athletes that go broke in five yeah. years, it's still like 80%. It's yeah. through the roof. Yeah. You know? Well, I think we see too is – like the managers, the people who are, who are helping them manage their money are just not being managed. So then their money's gone too. Or the person they that even they trusted. understand how money works, flows, or yeah. do they, do they, the it's, thing, go it's ahead. like, do they, do they have investments to make money or they just go, Hey, I think we should go here or there, right? You or, nailed it. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> look, and, and this isn't everyone, right? Mm-hmm. But but for what it takes to put an athlete in a position of financial freedom is very different than the normal person, mm-hmm. right? Our career span is a fraction of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's and there's a variable on when that is or isn't going to happen. So I think the traditional way and what a lot of other financial advisors set athletes up to 
to create financial freedom, it, it, it's a, it's irrelevant for us, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like there's no point in locking up all your money that does nothing for you when your career ends at 30. Right. Right. We need to figure out what to do at 30, not at 65. Right. So what's the point mm-hmm. of That's of doing point. that process, right? So I think like it. What, the good thing about social media is changing, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's making people go, wait a minute, this is a problem. 80% of athletes That's go crazy. broke. Why? What? How do I? You know? Yeah. And then you have people that are trying to change it. And hopefully, hopefully, and you know that stat goes down. Paycheck to paycheck. I think it's higher than that. Yeah. I thought I, last time I heard it was like in the nineties. Maybe right. Yeah. And I think, um, like Crystal's saying, it's like I think it doesn't matter. It's like funny because we do financing and you see tax returns for everybody. Yeah. And I always tell people like. A lot of things that I've learned, I think the way we are is because I got to see, I get to see people naked. Yeah. Like you can have this facade, a house, a car and everything, you can be a doctor, but behind the scene, I'm like, this is your, this, you're struggling. Yeah. Yes. You're literally making a million, but you spend a million. This is crazy. It's, and, and or you're so, making a million and you spend a million too. <laughs> you know, matter. it's like, it yeah. doesn't yeah. matter if it's yeah. a doctor, a lawyer, you're a real estate person you're an athlete, it's, it comes back to educate. Like you got, like, where did you get your education? Like, how did you just, yeah. you don't just wake up one no, day. No, I lucked out. Man, I don't know if you read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I, of course <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I had a combination of things. One, my dad had a really good view on money. And from an early age, I saw somebody that like, you know, we were always in the nicer neighborhoods, mm-hmm. but he always made less money than everybody. Okay. And he accomplished that by being really smart with it. He always lived below his means. We always had rental properties. So seeing him, I think, was a good uh, a good example to me to know how, how money was supposed to be sent, even though I didn't know the inner workings of how he was doing it. Mm-hmm. And then at 21, I met this guy, Randy, who would then change my entire life. And he was a wealth manager and ran an alternative investment fund, which were real estate funds that I then got to participate in. Okay. And he was the first person that, took the time out to go, okay, dude, this isn't going to last forever for you. Yeah, We need to put together some type of strategy that's going to put you in a position to be okay. So the learning like, okay, this is my budget and I'm going to make more money, but my lifestyle is going to stay the same because I'm trying to maximize the amount of stuff I could put into investments mm-hmm. that bring me passive income, mm-hmm. right? And so w- what happened is once he kind of taught me it and then I experienced it, I then became, became obsessed with the money that was coming in without me working, right? Yeah. Because that was like the, okay, I have this money coming in, but it's not enough to live off. So I need it to be, I need, I need it to be more, right? So then I was like, okay, I'm going to live like I'm broke. I, seriously, from 21 to 30, I lived like I was poor because I was so like obsessed with becoming financially free that I wanted to put all my money to work. Yeah. And then even like, you know, after St. Archer, it's like, you know, we end up selling St. Archer. We get a lump sum of money. Lump sums of money do nothing for me. I'm a big believer in getting my money to work because I don't want to have to work to get money. Yeah. I want to choose to work. So that was like the big life change for me. And it was right around that time where I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Millionaire yeah. Next Door and all these books that uh, I think just changed my outlook on on what true financial freedom was. And that's – so I was just even saying too, when you get into real estate – whether it's even for me when I first started doing loans or I know brokers that go to these big brokerage firms, they teach you basically go get the nice house, go get the fancy car because they want you to kind of be locked down to this lifestyle. So a lot of us aren't getting that kind of like financial education. And I say that all the time about brokers because when when it started becoming more and more common that real estate brokers also owned 
rental properties, then there was this kind of like suspicion of like, well, are you not giving me good deals because you you would rather buy it for yourself? Yeah. And now, and people have asked me that same question we since we own. Like, why would I work with you? Wouldn't you take deals for me? Well, of course not. I can't buy everything. And yeah. like, also, I'm planning on being in business for a while. But wouldn't you want to work with somebody who like drinks their own Kool Aid? Like, if I do real estate, shouldn't I also own See? real estate? Yeah. Oh, 100%. You know? But it's happening, I think, in a lot of different industries where, like you said, I think there is there is, was this like old school mentality of keeping people kind of locked down to their jobs. Otherwise, you're for like fear of them quitting because they don't need you anymore. Yeah. And there wasn't that like education on money. No, no, totally. I think it's just a, it's, it's, it's even like a society issue. Yeah. It's like we don't build leaders. Yeah. We don't. We don't build people to succeed. Right. We build people to get in line and then yeah. the outliers go out and succeed. That's yes. an issue. Yeah. I think. That's like I you know. I mean, I just I always I, I just look at data. I look at credit card debt. Get told you debt. Know, do you know this better than anybody? This, all this stuff and it just it's just and I always tell people like, Oh, I can't do it and I go, Look, Crystal and I we've been doing financing for a long time, we've done a lot of it and we work with a lot of real estate investors and I go, You just think a real estate investor is somebody that got a lump sum, put money to work? No. A real estate investor could be somebody that is two teachers, but they said, hey, like you, we're going to live really broke, but somebody in their life said, hey, you should buy an apartment building and pay it off at least one. And we meet these people. I'm like, how did you do this? Like somebody told me at 24 to buy a building. I bought one building. I paid it off in 30 years and we both have pension. I have that. And if I didn't have that, I couldn't live here. So that 10 grand a month I get, that's, I have a life. I can live Yeah. because this wouldn't work. And I tell people it's just discipline. They never, they never made more than a hundred grand each ever. Yeah. Or that guy never made more than eighty thousand. Yeah. He was just disciplined with what he did with his money. Or like, yeah. what is it? Uh, Tony Robbins tells that story of the guy who was like the mailman. Yes. And he, he only made, made like, seventeen thousand. Yeah. Saved, yeah. That's like a yeah, one-off. That, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's like an extreme example, but yeah. it's true because I think that's one of the things people always say. Well, I wish I had that money to invest, and it's like, yeah. No, that comes with sacrifice. Hundred percent. A hundred percent. What if you don't have an extra dollar? Well, figure out how to save it. Like move somewhere farther away where you don't have to, you know, pay as much rent or whatever it is. Like Starbucks. Don't buy $5 Starbucks every other day. You know, I mean, those kinds of things are the things that you sacrifice. sacrifice and taking ownership. Yeah. Right. It's like, like you said, I'm sure all your, because we're just so passionate because this, you have to have this mindset to really that real that that real estate investor has this mindset. It doesn't yeah. matter like what level they're at. But it's not easy though too because I'm sure all of the other kids that you were skating with were all like getting nice things and Definitely having cool hard. places and having fun parties at their yeah. places and showing it all off yeah. where you felt like you were living broke and you yes. know what I mean like you missed out on missed out on a lot of things back then. Yeah. And so it, it is sacrifice. It's not like it was fun for you from 21 to 30. Oh, no. <laughs> it's sacrifice and, yeah. and humbling yeah. yourself, yeah. right? Like, yeah. dude, I, I was a pro skater. Like, yeah. I'm competitive, yeah. Yeah. right? And I have all my friends buying rad stuff. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, like, for cars, for example. Yeah. All my friends are driving S550s. Yeah. And I'm in a 94 Civic hatchback. <laughs> That's right? Awesome, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you look around and you really have to, like, like convince yourself, like, dude, this yeah. is going to be better for you in the long run. Don't yeah. worry about instant gratification. You can defer it. Like, trust yeah. me. And and do that. It's hard work. It's yeah. not easy doing yeah. that. Yeah. Like, you're definitely going against the grain. And that's what you end up having to do because the majority of people aren't going to be willing to make that sacrifice. I mean, dude, like, yeah. we, how long have we been hearing about the keeping up with the Jones phrase? Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Right? It's because we've, we let other people control how we feel. Mm-hmm. So it's like until we break that mold, you're not going to be able to put yourself in a position to go, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care what you think. Yeah. I'm going to be better 10 years from now. 
Yep. But you got to work through a lot of personal issues that I don't think a lot of us have the tools to do. Yeah. We have that kind of situation even now just with like a lot of our friends will be like, you guys, you know, own apartments. Why aren't you buying a house? Like what's wrong? Like you guys are being so cheap. And we're kind of like, oh my gosh, if I have to. Right now. We sold a house. Uh, yeah. So I'm yeah, like. I don't even This is going to be a bit. If my, if my wife hears the way this is going to go. <laughs> gonna no, people ask me all the time. Like I've always wanted a house. But at the same time for us, we're like, oh my gosh, that's how many hundreds of th- like I'm going to have to put a down payment. And then. It, knowing us, we want to fix everything up. Like I love doing rehab and remodeling and all that kind of stuff. So then you're going to spend more money on the house. And Kenny's yeah. like, that's all that money that we have that's not working for us. Like one day is the – that's the day. You know, there will be a day where we go do that. But yeah. right now, like I'd rather go buy another apartment building than have a mortgage that I have to pay for every year. So that's why I tell people for me it's simple and I made my decision up. So you can – like every, it's all the time. I was just last night. They're like – I go, look, there's a goal. That goal is I create a machine here. And once that machine gets to this level, I can buy a house and it pays for the house, my lifestyle, everything. Mm-hmm. And then everything I do here and I make, I just keep making the machine bigger and bigger. What you guys do is you bought, you got all this, and now you have to somehow take money that out of here to start creating a machine. Yeah. Even if you make a lot of money, you've already built this lifestyle, and you're used to it. Your wife's used to it, your kids and everybody. Now you're going to – and people call something, what should I do? I'm like, sell your house and put it – how many other conversations your wife might just have it? You want me to sell my house and move uh, into a two-bedroom apartment and go buy a building? Yeah. yeah. In 20 years, you'll thank me. Yeah. If you don't, in 20 years, you're really going to hate me. Yeah. That's, to me, it's simple. Yeah. But I tell people, once you start getting an investment, it becomes very addictive. Well, you don't yeah, care about that's, stuff. No, that's my... You know that. Yeah, see, my... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm challenged by that because I'm, yeah. I am so investor mode and probably too much almost like on the obsessive side and so that's my argument with my wife she's like look stop looking at our home as an investment (laughs) right and i truly believe that i I think you should not look at your personal residence as an investment i think that'll trust me it is not worth it but uh yeah that's that's we talk about that all the time like i have i have this much money locked up in my house what am i actually making on that money it's yeah. not that much i'll tell you straight up yeah and what could maybe three percent over mm-hmm. the last 15 years yep. right so it's like okay can i make more than three percent on that money hell yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah hell yeah so it's like yeah i'm totally fine renting but i will recognize that like my wife that that's not what she wants yeah. she wants a home she wants to like have a place that's hers and so I give I give in areas where if it were just up to me, I'd never own a home ever. ever. And, and there is that kind of emotional side. And even for me as a woman, I want that. I mean, we have a nine-month-old baby and, like, I would love to have a house with a yard and have everybody come over and, like, do the things. But at the same time, I've kind of just, like, locked that off and gone, like, we're not even going to go there because that's just not I an option that. right now. I love that. <laughs> so there will be a day and then I'm going to get a big house and have really big parties. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> but not now. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. had this conversation with I – was, I was telling you, I was with Steve Weatherford this morning, yeah. old NFL player, with the same conversation. He's running right now. He's like, should I buy? I'm like, no. Yeah. Don't buy? Mm-hmm. Go buy a building. Yeah. <laughs> you right? know? Yes. 100%. But you're right. It comes. It becomes an obsession because then you're like, okay, at what point do I every, shut that off? That's a problem. Yeah. I look at every dollar. How I'm gonna make money in that dollar? Yeah. And that's unhealthy. Truly is. No, like, I agree. I, it, sometimes it you much, yeah. enjoy yeah. the mm-hmm. blessings that your money can go create. Right. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be about like, you know, deferring <laughs> gratification yeah. forever yeah. until yeah. you die. And you're like, yeah, you set it all the way over there. You never yeah. got to experience it. So like, I think there's a balance. Yes. I just tend to always be on the you know extreme side yes you know. so i wanted to i know we're gonna 
there's stuff we want to talk about, but I want to kind of jump into a few topics with you. Okay. So one is skating. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I know you started skating. You're 13, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that was interesting is like you're like, I wasn't the most talented skater, mm-hmm. but I was competitive and I was willing to work my ass off. Mm-hmm. And that can actually, at the end of the day, you can actually beat people that are more talented. And we've learned that now with sports and stuff. Yeah. Um, how is that? With your life, and like skating then, but how is that like with your life now? I mean, how does that kind of factor into your life these days? Oh, gosh. Um, well, so when I grew up, the, the guys that I grew up skating with were all better than me, every single one of them. They were like, I just grew up in this time and in this city where it produced like six of the greatest skateboarders ever. Crazy. Just happened to be out of that, that city. And so I'm surrounded by people that like I just want to be as good at, as good as. And so I always had to work and work and work to try to keep up. But what it ended up teaching me was it didn't matter how long it took me to land tricks. It just mattered that I landed them. And so, like, I got really comfortable in this environment of, like, it doesn't matter if the guy next to me is doing it quicker. I just have to keep focused on me, and it's all about me doing it. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, dude, I've used that in everything, whether it's, like, starting a new business, a relationship. It doesn't matter when I get the property. It doesn't matter when we connect. It just matters that I don't stop until it happens. And that all came from, like, having to work for things, you know. And, look, a lot of the friends I grew up skating didn't have long careers. Mm-hmm. Because it was so easy for them. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't challenged. They didn't have to ever like sacrifice to accomplish. For me, it was like I knew what it took to achieve it. You know, and we're really big on even like trying to teach that to our kids. Like yeah. we try to give them less praise about the actual thing that they accomplished and more emphasis on the work that went into accomplishing it. So that they yeah. can get comfortable in the idea that if you want to go do that get comfortable in doing this, 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 and this, and then that will happen mm-hmm. instead of just, oh, yeah, I have that, and yay, I'm the best. Yeah. You know, and that all came that all came from skating. I mean, dude, really, truthfully, everything I am now, it all came from skating. I didn't go to school. It was all learned through that world, you know. Yeah, you didn't go to college, huh? No, no. I was high school and then yes. pro skateboarder. Yeah. You know? It's amazing, right? It's yeah. Like college just never Yeah, but learned. you know what's funny? It's like there's a lot of like, you know, I learned a lot of, lot of lessons that maybe be – were the same outcome as somebody else that learned them in a different way. Mine just all came from skating, you know, like something like that. Oh, totally. What do you, um, I'm sure you get asked a lot by parents, kids that want to be athletes, skaters, snowboarders, whatever it is going to be, right? Like what, what is that? What's your common advice or what's kind of that conversation always like? Uh, that's a hard one. It's one that I haven't truly mastered yet because I think if I was just going to be honest and didn't want to worry about, like, you know, offending the mom, I would say it really depends on the kid. Mm-hmm. And without knowing the kid, you can't tell somebody if they're going to be successful or not at it, right? So, like, usually parents will go, hey, my son is so in love with this. Do you think he should be a pro skater? But that doesn't mean That's you're going to be a pro question. skateboarder, yeah. right? Like, yeah. well, just because you love it doesn't mean you're. No, you're be it doesn't, yeah. right? So it's like, well, let me know more about him. Is he yeah. obsessed with it? Is he talented at it? Does he have the work? Does he have the drive? Yes. Okay, then maybe he's got a shot. But like, and we've seen that too, where we have we've seen parents that are just like their kid loves football, for example, and they're at every game, and they have these dreams of going pro, and yeah. then you see them, and they're like 
not good. Yeah. You know, and you're like, 100%. Yeah, what do you think? I go, yeah. I think they need to go to school or make sure they have a plan B. Like, yeah. I really have one. Yeah, and because I'm not the one to ask, but I'm like, dude, totally, shit. totally, man. So it's like, so you then know you don't want to leave your kid down, lead your kid down a false dream. Like, you don't want to crush their dreams, but you also don't want to be like, you can do anything you want. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, because look, the, yeah, dude, the reality is, and I might get eaten up for this. I don't think you can do whatever you want. No. You really don't. No. I don't think so either. It's like. No, Gary Vee says it like, look, I'm not going to go be Beyonce. I'm not going to be LeBron. I mean, there, but there's, but there might some of these things like you could go start a business and be successful because you can control that. But it's like, yeah, I'm six, seven, but I didn't play professional basketball or tennis or anything like that. I just yeah. knew that that wasn't I think be it's me. like we all have our skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And it's when you can align your skill set and your passion where it's going to be powerful, mm-hmm. right? But it's like for me personally, like I am not like a super analytical operational type. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So I'm not going to go out and be the best COO the world's ever seen. No. Not my skill set, right. right? So it's like you kind of got to be pretty honest with yourself on what you are and aren't good at. Yeah. Some people aren't, you know? So I usually usually what I tell the, the parent is like, what does the kid want? Like, just focus on like the enjoyment of it. Right. Yeah. Do you love doing this? Then go do it. Just, just love do it. it because you love it, totally. not because you want to be and a And if pro. something happens, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, it's like a blessing if it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then if it doesn't, you don't have to go through this whole crisis of I dedicated everything and it didn't work. <laughs> like, well, this was awesome. I love doing yeah. it. You know, so. so what do you tell the kids? So oh, you can ask man. The kids. Yeah. I be pro, like, uh, yeah. That's a tough one. I, yeah. What I usually say is like, dude, give it everything you have. And if it doesn't work out, you know that you tried everything for it to work and that wasn't for you mm-hmm. and then go find the next thing and put the same exact work into that mm-hmm. that's better than like oh yeah i don't know if it'll ever happen and then wondering i'm a big believer of like i don't want to like what if my life way i want to know like i tried this didn't work move on to the next well it's kind of like you lead down one path thinking you're going in a direction but then you might also find something else that you love out of it. Like when you yeah. became a pro skateboarder, you weren't like, I'm going to buy real estate and start a fun. You know, totally. I mean, you kind of go on these paths and you find other things that you love. Yeah. And or I you think. you meet cool people that yeah. say, yeah. wow, I didn't even think if I could do yeah. this. Yeah. But life's not a straight shot, right? Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> no, no, it takes not. crazy turns. Yeah. So it's like you just have to be flexible to go around them, you know? Um, you have two kids, right? Yep. Girls? Two girls. Yep. Yeah, Scarlett and Amelia. How old? Six and four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it's kind of funny. What do they do? They kind of realize like their dad was. Do they kind of know your story and get it? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Like my daughters. I mean, they had like uh, dolls of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super <laughs> weird. Awesome. Super weird. Oh so like, God. there's weird things they do. Like you know, when they used to go to friends' house and play with their dolls, like, where's the skateboarding dad? Like, you know, or like for example, like my daughter learned how to ride a bike last year, mm-hmm. right? And she was struggling with it. And the first thing she said, "Dad, I'm the worst pro biker ever." Like she doesn't say, "Like, babe, it's not about being pro," but she's just heard <laughs> yeah. like you're a pro skateboarder. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she hasn't totally figured that out yet, but there's like funny little you know quirks of isn't it, it kind of cool though that kids like just love you and see you for who you are they have the no thought or care no, like they don't care at all yeah no they want to feel loved and special and it's like pay the most, attention yeah. to that's it they don't it's care like the most genuine no, like real care. thing no they yeah. don't, they don't which care is, which is kind of yeah cool. they want you to be around pay attention to them love them that's it and are you able because of what you've created are you able to be around a lot um I try, I try to be around as much as I can. Um, 
my problem is is my personality. It's it's not the I've created the vehicle that'll allow it. It's the obsessive part of me of trying to build out a vision I want to accomplish that that can get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, with that said, I've done a lot of work and growth on on balancing and putting them where they should be as far as priorities go. So kind of how my schedule looks now, uh, I spend Saturday and Sunday with them. I don't work on the weekends. Um, I have the morning, so I wake up early. I wake them up, make them breakfast, take them to school, and then I get home and spend about two hours with them before they go to bed. It's kind of our schedule. And our you schedule just hustle all day doing your thing. And I hustle all day doing my thing. Yeah. I think that's hard as parents, though, like trying to figure that out because I wasn't sure when we had Harlow – like how I was going to feel. So I was kind of like, who knows? I, I really don't think I would be the person that doesn't want to work, but you know, maybe did I'll go through. Did, um, did you... No. So I like had to go back to work. So I probably the week after I had her, I was already doing some stuff at home mm-hmm. just because it's just who I am. And that's yeah. the way I've always been. But then there is this like for moms, especially I think Ugh. as a mom, I like have this guilt if I mm-hmm. miss something, but then like I have a business, so I have to kind of take care of that. Mm-hmm. And the same for Kenny, like Kenny's a chatty Kathy he'll be on the phone all night if you let him like yep. he'll just keep talking yep. and so you know and so we've had this battle though I will too yeah yeah so he has the mornings and I kind of do the night routine and it, that works for us but I had to even say that to him in the beginning is like no like you make an appointment for your family just like you make appointments for your clients or for your business like you have to make that time because otherwise it slips yeah. like oh I just got to do this one quick thing or oh, I got to do yeah. that and it, it's a hard juggling act. The morning's my big thing. I get up yeah. super early. Me too. Before, yeah. And, I'm not there um, yet. I got to be back because the, all these girls over here, when I work at it, you got back by 540, so I get back from, you know, get up and do that thing, and I just hang out with my daughter. So it's, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah. And that's the time. You know, yeah. Nobody's really up at those hours, so it's good. But it's tough when you get home, like yeah. calls and business and this. It's a lot. Yeah. It's hard to turn off. And the weekends, we've been pretty good about it. I heard this would be good for our personalities it really helped me uh i heard jesse itzler speak he was speaking at that scale escape event about time we heard valuing time yeah it was powerful basically if you didn't hear it, he talks about the most important thing we have in life is time Mm -hmm. right so why are we giving our most valuable thing to someone else and having putting no respect on it right so he talks about how if somebody wants to talk to him outside of his circle that happens from 12 to 1 on Mondays. That's it. Yep. And then for everyone else, there's schedules to it. When he's with his kids, that's the most important time. And mm-hmm. like really like, you know, taking the stance of what's valuable in my life and how valuable is my time worth? Yep. And then it puts it in perspective. Okay, well, like, yeah, I'm doing – like he gave the example of like uh, if you're trying to save money, mm-hmm. right? Like, like I'm going to start washing my car. Right, so you go wash your car, and you spend an hour washing your car that would cost you thirty-five bucks. So you just valued what you just valued an hour of your time for thirty-five bucks. Yep. Well, how valuable is your time actually? And it, it was a really good like perspective change on like for me, for example, dude. I'll, I'll, anyone who calls me, I'll pick it up and talk. Right. So there's no barrier to to my time or my life. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving that control to someone else. So it talks about putting everything in order. And I think it's hard, though, because when you're – She's on me about it a lot. Yeah, yeah my She's wife too. Like, <laughs> me too. Oh, my gosh. That's, I, I, yes. We yes. have those, those talks a lot. Yes. But I do – in your guys' defense, I think that we start off as you're trying to, like, build – whether it's your business or whatever, and you are like, yes, 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 I have to be available. If I don't pick up, then they're going to go to the next person and I lose that opportunity. And then you just get in this habit of feeling like you need to answer every call and get back to every person and kind of just being a pleaser. Yep. 
So I, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. So it is hard to kind of, when do you start drawing that line? Cause it's like when you're Jesse Itzler, maybe you can only talk to people on Mondays from 12 to one. So you might not be in that position to do it right then. Yeah. But yeah, definitely having kids puts it in perspective because totally. you realize that you don't get that time back. No. Yeah. And the other thing that he said, I know you mentioned recently was, um, like I recently just went to Florida and then with my brother lives in Miami and uh, we went to the Bahamas. So we do like a year trip. We go free dive and spear. And, um, but he's like, you might only do that 20 more times. Yeah. Yep. That was a huge one. Mm -hmm. And it was like, we were like, whoa. Yeah. And, like how um, much time do you have with people? Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because when we were, we were actually, Mitch and I, we were going back. I brought him this time. We were talking about, you kind of said it and it reminded me again. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, we saw him at 10X. I was like, we're going back. I'm like, man, how many more times do I do this my brother? I mean, how about something happens? Like, yeah. So when I go there, it's just like. I just try to so value it, right? Yeah. So big. Yeah. With anything, anybody, especially family, yep. close friends. So that's something else he said that was uh, powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it was pretty funny. Another thing that you'll find funny is we were at 10X and Grant's daughters came out and talked, and the older one came out and she said something that probably, out of every speaker that was there, probably knocked everybody on their ass in the audience. She said, You know what's funny? I was thinking when I was going to talk something like that, that I'm 10 years old and I have to go to school every day and I have to learn every day and every day I'm growing and learning. Why is it that when you guys become adults that you stop learning? <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And she said, you know what I would, you know what I really like for everybody in the audience is that just keep learning and growing a little bit every day because I, just like me, I, I think it would be very helpful. And she gets off and everybody looks around like people are crying. I'm like, the 10 year old just schooled us all. Wow. Like, that's that was pretty, pretty cool. cool. Right? It yeah. was really it's cool. It's the same thing. It's yeah, like, totally is. you know, we're doing all this stuff. We get stuck learning. in routine and then yeah. we flatline. Oh, yeah, dude, totally. Life's hard. Life's busy, right? Ugh. Yeah. I never thought, I didn't realize how much free time I had until we had a, a kid. Like, you know, too. I was like, holy shit, my whole life was free time. Yeah. When I thought I was so busy, totally. I had nope. so much time. You were not busy at all. No, puts in perspective. <laughs> it really does. She's down for now. 30 minutes. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, yep. Gosh. Yep. Um, one of the things, um, DC, mm -hmm. when they went to you, <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny cause like Ed Milet always says, uh, I know, you know, who he is, there's like pivotal things in your life. It might be four five, three that yeah. probably changed. You know, one is like meeting that guy, Randy. And yeah. I was thinking for you, this is probably one where you're like, oh yeah. And all of a sudden you just, whoosh, you're done. Oh yeah. And you're like, holy smokes. And I think for athletes and stuff, it's, I'm playing and my leg broke. Yeah. Or it could be somebody that has a business and it went under and they don't know what to do. Yep. Like, uh, can you talk about like that point in your life, like how that was probably a pivotal moment? Yeah, that was I, up until this point. That might have been the uh, that might have been the most defining moment of my life. Actually, was when that happened, and it and it really like I had got to a point where like like look when you start succeeding and you get to a point where things are happening and it's just easy for you, mm -hmm. you turn it on to cruise control, right? Like, seriously, it, I, I got to a point where it was like, I could do anything, right? I'll start mm -hmm. a new business. This is easy. And, and all of the sudden, I got put on my ass. Mm -hmm. And the whole rug got taken out from under me, and I, I had to then, like, start all the way down at the first floor and go, who am I? Mm -hmm. right? I go from, like, feeling like I'm the man. I accomplish anything. Just, like, dude, cruising. And then all of a sudden, it's like I'm broken. I can't do it. What the heck? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And that was 
that was the most difficult thing I'd ever gone through. The only time in my life where I've ever felt dark or depressed or that I wasn't able to accomplish whatever I wanted. And so I had this moment that was the most painful thing I'd ever been through that forced me to go, you know what, am I going to die here or is this going to be the defining moment that makes me who I am? And so I started climbing out of it. And the only way I was able to do that was like start within and go, okay, yeah, who are you for real? Mm-hmm. You feel like people were watching you too at that of time? Course, like, dude, oh, f- dude, that was the worst part yeah. about it is I got, a, I had a, you know, almost 600,000 followers on Instagram that I had built a whole entire brand and persona around. And all of a sudden I'm going through this moment of like, who am I? And I have all of them that think I'm something else mm-hmm. or view me as one thing, right? So like, yeah, dude, I mean, what I would have liked was to just go through that and have no one care what I was going through. Yeah. But I, dude, I, I, I wasn't in that luxury. So I had to, I had to figure out first what it was that, that felt empty for me. Yeah. And, and it really was at the end of it, how I felt valued. I, I was letting other people tell me how valuable I was mm-hmm. by praise in, in my success. So I had to build that up and get to the point where I went, you know what? It's not about you guys. I don't care what you guys think of me anymore. But I wasn't, I didn't have enough confidence in myself to truly believe that back then. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I had to work on a lot of like self-confident issues. I had to work on a lot of relationship issues with my wife, with the kids. I had to like really reassess who I was. And then once I got to the point of, okay, this is who I am, then it's like, now I have to tra- transition this whole social media following into this new yeah. thing, which was like, I'm still going through. That was not a... How long, how long did that, like, from when you got that news to where you probably started feeling like, I've got this, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a, like a, I'm in a state where I'm like, have some confidence. Like, uh, you know, come on, Mike, you great question. Up, like, yeah, it's a great question. So it happened. So for the first three months, I was pretty lost and, and I was trying to get out of it in ways that I didn't know were unhealthy, right? Like all I could explain back then was like, I need to get back to me. I need to get back to feeling like me. And so I thought, like, I'll just start a new company, and that new company will become my identity, and then I'll feel like the man again. That was my original idea. So I'm coming up with all these ideas of these new companies. Sounds like a decent enough idea. Yeah, right? Yeah. 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 How do I become the man again? Well, the shoe (laughs) company just kicked me off. I'm going to start another shoe company, and I'm going to beat them with success. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I got to the point where I was coming up with all these ideas, and none of them felt like me, felt like I was trying to put a Band-Aid on something. And then I started working through these issues, and it probably wasn't until, gosh, 12 months, maybe a year after, where I was like, okay, this is going to be okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then I spent the next year, and it's it's what's happened now is, like, I just keep having these jumps, right? Where I'm like, if this was, like, the bottom, then I got to here. I'm like, okay, I got this. And then I jumped up here. Okay, I got this. And uh, dude, I still have those jumps. Like, you know, it's, but you can recover faster. Cause that's of that. exactly what it is. It's like just quicker. Faster, it's huh? just quicker recovery. Right. Where if like I was doubting myself for three months, now I'm at the point where I might doubt myself for 30 minutes. So, what, so just question, cause I always like to know, like, where do you go now? Like before it took you 12 months to figure out where to, cause this is mental. Yeah. Like, it's, oh, it's all mental. It's this whole thing's mental. 12 months of a mindset. Now huh? you're in 30 minutes. I can get my mindset there. Like, where do you go? Oh man! You don't mind me asking. No, I don't mind at all. <laughs> so for me, it's like a big part of of me having to figure out like who I was and and the identity and love that I was missing out on was real faith based for me. It, okay. it, it was that I never had anything 
I, I, I had lost track of why I was here. Yeah. Right. So, so for me, if I have moments where I'm like, what the heck is going on? I try to get to a place and just like take a moment, pray. Okay. Yeah. And get myself back to like that. And if I if if I'm, I I need more support, I'll call my wife. Or you know, there's people in my life that I just might need to go. Hey, I'm feeling this. Uh, is this how I should be feeling, or is this an insecurity? Mm-hmm. Recognizing it and just like trying to like regroup, and then okay, boom, move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Um, have you got? Because Crystal and I, <clears throat> one of the things when we came on a podcast, we talked about how we've because we work people, how do you work together and live together? We're always together. And a lot of it's, um, we did counseling. We mm-hmm. did premarital counseling. We did counseling. So, and I tell people like, you know, like, oh, I don't need that. I go, of course. Cause you know, you know, you're a pro athlete. You don't need a coach, right? You're, you got it all figured out. So for us is we, you know, when we, we had the kid before we had the kid, we went in and he goes, what's up? I said, I don't know. I just need to come into counseling. Why? I said, because I've never had a kid. Like I want to yep. talk about things like this and that. So, do you, is there anything like that in your life where you guys during that time you did some counseling and now when you go through stuff, you and your wife are on the same page and just it, instead of, okay, we're going to argue about this for 30 days, it's like yes. 30 seconds, 30 Yes, minutes. yes. So, so for everyone who's married or thinking about getting married, being married is hard, incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot kids of – Kids make it harder. <laughs> kids make it a lot harder. So for us – we, we've spent a lot of time in counseling, a lot. Awesome. And really, it's to give us tools to be able to have a good marriage, mm-hmm. right? And, and even, like, dude, thinking back, like, we went, through, we went through a premarital counseling. We went through counseling for the whole existence of our marriage. And then at year seven is when all of this happened for me. And that was, like, I was going through such a hard time. Our marriage, that was the most difficult year we've had in our marriage by far. It was challenging. Right. Challenging probably isn't even the best word for it. Mm-hmm. It was that hard. And so, uh, dude, Jen set us up for like a marriage retreat without telling me. Right. She's like, I'm going to uh, we need something. We need a reset. I'm going to sign up for this marriage retreat. And she told me like two weeks before, like I signed us up for a marriage retreat. I don't know what it's going to be like. It could be totally like corny and whack, but we're going. Yeah. Right. And it was like that was a big moment because it was three days for us to just like phones gone. It, it gave us a bunch of options to go to different speakers and like just to reset and understand that we all have seasons in our life or our marriage. Mm-hmm. And we were in a season that was a winner. It was a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that like, dude, this isn't forever and there's going to be trials and we can work out and be in a good season, then it's, it's ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we left that trip and the big one for us was understanding our love languages. That's where we got in trouble mm-hmm. where, you know, I, there's a way I feel loved, right? My love is words of affirmation. So I like when people tell me things. Yeah. That's not her uh, love language. But for me, because I like that, that's what I communicate when I tell other people. Hey, Kenny, I love what you do. I love this this conversation. Yeah. You're so skilled at, right? Yeah. That's not what she hears. Her love language is quality time. Yeah. Right? Which happens to be my low. <laughs> yeah. So we get in a that's situation, too, right, yeah. where I'm spinning the way I want to be loved to her. She's not hearing it because yeah. it's not her love language, and we're in this cycle of she doesn't feel loved, and I don't feel loved. She doesn't feel appreciated. I don't feel appreciated. And then you add, well, Mike doesn't know who he is now, and his career's gone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> How are we supposed to have a marriage, right? Yeah. And it yeah. led to, like, you know, we were fighting every single day, and there was no balance. There was no peace. There was no order. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, like, a good way for us to go, okay, let's get back on track. And then we stayed disciplined on follow-ups with with counselors. It's like a car, right? 
Can you have, have a tune car? it up every now and then. You have to. Yeah. It's like we have to treat marriage the way we treat anything else we perceive as value, mm-hmm. right? Do we value our apartments? Yes. Would yeah. you ever have 34 people living in an apartment with no management? No. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Are we going to redo the roofs? Are we going to redo, redo when things go wrong? Of course. Are we going to take care of our car that we – yes. Same thing applies to marriage. Same yeah. thing applies to friendship. Thanks, yep. thanks for sharing. There is you that know? stigma, though, with counseling. I feel like there's this a little bit – like people think I don't need that or – you know, and like you said, just like anything in life, you've got to – there's maintenance. you, you got to do the maintenance. That's got to change. It's not yeah. going to help. That has You're to – right. What do you mean yeah. it's not going to help? Well, the thing – what at least for me, right, I, I always thought that if you go to counseling, it's because something's wrong. Right. And you don't want people to think something's wrong with your marriage. Right. Right. Well, look, nothing's perfect, right? The fairy tale that we were taught of like, oh, yeah, you meet somebody, they're your soulmate, you go on your honeymoon, (laughs) you never fight. If you fight, that's a sign of something's wrong. That is not reality, right? Right. So we've been taught something that's false, and then we perceive counseling as a thing that counters that false reality we were taught. Yeah. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Right? It's like, look, dude, my life is not perfect. My marriage is not perfect. We struggle. Yeah. You know? So it's like, why aren't we going to, like, prepare ourselves to become better at it? Now when we're not seeing eye to eye, I'm like, let's go talk to Doug and see what he That's has to say about started. this. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We actually we do the same thing. We like would awesome. we would halt fights. We'd be in the middle of a fight, and one of us yep. go, you know what? I'm done talking about this. Let's go talk to. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Richard was the yep. guy we were going. To. Let's go talk to Blackman. Yeah. And then we would set up the time, and then we'd argue there, and then yeah. we'd leave, going, Yeah, I understand your point. I understand your point. Why couldn't we do this? So together? much more productive though. Oh, yeah. That's oh, why yeah. I'm like, let's hash it out and see who wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And usually it's both of us. It's yeah. like, okay, Crystal, what what were you thinking when you said that? Kenny, you yeah. know, it's, and then you both leave going, okay, we found some common ground. 100%. Yeah. It just it opens it up. Um, one more thing in this kind of topic um, is something that you mentioned. It kind of clicked with me. I think we have similar personalities now spending some time with you. Um, as you mentioned, and I don't know when, it, when I heard you, is you said there was a time in your life where you're like, it was something like you're, you would – Things would upset you a lot, or you basically were walking around instead of being happy, go lucky like you're now. You're more like pissed off a lot, and um, I've been guilty of that, which is hard to admit. Mm-hmm. Crystal knows that is. Um, I don't know if you're looking at the glass half empty or full, but and then you just said you just kind of made a change. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is. I was going to ask you about like that. Like, when was that, and when you kind of made that transition? Yeah. So. Uh, so it kind of came from like the skate industry being pretty negative. Okay. Like. We hate everything. You guys are like the emo, like <laughs> yeah, everything skaters, was like yeah. whack, everything. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just from my environment, I had kind of fallen victim to becoming everything that I was surrounded by, and that was negativity. So anytime a new kid came out, ah, he ain't that good. Oh, he landed that trick. Wag the spot sucks. And I just found myself complaining about everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I don't know why this happened. Um, it becomes habit. It becomes habit. It totally became habit. But this instance where it changed, this is where I don't I, – I, it, it was like uh, – it was out of my hands, mm-hmm. right? I'm at this this party, this Christmas party for one of my sponsors. And, you know, we're all at the event. We start walking back to the hotel with a group of like 15 people. And it's like 2 in the morning at this point. And we're all walking back and we're walking on this street and all of a sudden it just stopped. I don't know why I was thinking this. But like I was like – kind of examining who I was. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing? Like, who am I? Like, you know, why do I complain about everything? And for whatever reason, 
I got to the conclusion that like I didn't like who I was looking at. And I don't know why it happened at this moment, but I sat down on this curb. Everyone else kept walking. It was like under the streetlight. It was like out of the movies, yeah. right? And I have never had anything like this happen in, in my life until this point. And I'm sitting here going, this isn't who I want to be. I don't want to be this negative person. I was never like that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I hate everything? I and if I keep heading down this path, I'm going to have lived my life being something that I don't want to be. Yeah. And so I woke up in the morning and that was my first day trying to change who I was. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen overnight. Like the, hey, I decided to change and and I was going to be something different. Not the case. It started very small where I was like, you know what? I'm complaining about everything. I'm going to try to like, if I want to complain about something and even if I do, I'm going to stop myself and go, you know what? I'm going to look at a positive in that situation. And it became a game. And even if like it was something awful and I couldn't find something that great in it, I would just like stretch it, just go, you know what? Yeah, this sucks, but like maybe it's for the better that something <laughs> down the line that I'm not gonna be able to see. Yeah. Like just yeah. trying to like find something good in it. And then what happened is just as fast as I became really negative and hated everything, then it just became the opposite. Now I didn't have to work so hard at looking at things in the positive light. I just did. Mm-hmm. And it transformed my life. It was like I I had better relationships because of it because of it. When bad things happened, they didn't take me out for so long. It was almost like uh, I looked forward to things going wrong because they put me in better positions than them before they had happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was a big big transformation for me. Yeah, that's uh, something I deal with. Like Crystal's like very looks at everything, so I'm getting nudged, but. She's helped me a lot with that. Just yeah, like, it's being aware of it, dude. Yeah. It's like I wasn't a like I fell victim of the routine. I wasn't yeah. paying attention to it, you know. And once I did, and then started seeing the side effects of it, then I became obsessed with that. It's like investing, yep. Right until you experience the change, then you're like, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to go back to that right. feeling. Yeah. Right. It's like if you're eating unhealthy, right? Yep. You eat like shit. You have no energy. You feel what you know, and then all of a sudden you start do you start taking care of yourself, and now you feel like you can do anything. Why would you want to go back to the feeling you had where like you couldn't do anything, yeah. you know? So I'm just I, I get a, I get addicted to like being better at certain things. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, um, I kind of want to dive into Saint Archer. Okay, that's uh, that was that was. It's kind of funny. I don't know when I was listening. I was watching some podcast to learn more about you, and I was like, I didn't even. I mean, you mentioned it, but I was like, I didn't even realize that you like started that. And then I listened to the story. I'm like. It's pretty crazy. It's, That's like, super it's crazy. a crazy story. Like, can you <laughs> totally kinda, crazy. Like, I know it's like, uh, can you kind of like tell the story of like how it just happened and the name and all that? Since I was listening, I was like, I never knew. Like, yeah. So the the how it happened was uh, my friend Josh Landon, who uh, was a surf filmmaker. Um, he filmed this surf film called Union Express, and he took Timmy Curran, and mm-hmm. they took the train from San Diego to San Francisco and stopped at all these spots along the way. And Josh wanted to make a skate film. Uh, with that same model, and I was going to be the skater. We're going to take the train. We were starting San Diego, take the train up to SF, and uh, and so we're in San Diego trying to film the the first stop of this this film, and we're at the spot the first night, and I get a call from my friend Mike Mo, who's going to start a sunglass company, which would become Glassy. And prior to that happening, he he called me. He's like, "Hey, let's start a sunglass company. I have the name. I think it's a great name." And I'm like, "Okay, let me think about it." And I hung up the phone, and I was with Josh. And I was like, "Hey, dude." What do you think about like sunglasses? Like I just got this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he was like, you know, the conversation went, you know, it's cool, but like everyone does sunglass companies in our industry. Like it'd be so cool to do something that's like totally out, out left field 
outside of the box. Yeah. And you know, that, that first conversation happened at seven. We started talking about all the way to like, we were going to sleep at 11 and we're sharing a room. We turn off, we turn off the lights and he goes like beer. Like it'd be so crazy if we did beer. Yeah. And I turn on the light. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Like, why don't we do like a craft brewery? And it was like right around the time where like craft, craft beer was starting to transition into like more of the mainstream world. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, dude. And we totally abandoned the film. What year was this? This was, this idea was 2011. Wow. We abandoned wow. the film. We drive home, right? Totally forgot about the film. We drive home and Paul Rodriguez was the only friend we had that we knew who was like an investor or like started a business. Yeah. And Josh like, call your friend Paul. Like he's doing this with us. I'm like, all right, cool. So we call Paul and we meet him off Canaan at Starbucks on the way oh home. Oh my gosh. Pitch yeah. this idea that we had 12 hours prior and that was the forming of us going, okay, let's start a brewery. And then we spent the next year figuring out what that really meant and how we were going to s- structure and create it. Uh, and then it became St. Archer. Which is crazy. And you guys were like such it's like such a massive success too. It's so cool. It was a massive a massive success. Yeah. Massive success. And it, we were all like, I mean, we didn't have any experience. Like yeah. Josh Josh was a filmmaker. So he didn't crazy. have experience running a company. Like Paul had the most experience out of all of us at that time. I had never invested or started a company. So uh dude, it was a big learning lesson for all of us. What do you attribute the success to? Oh, um a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I think it was, there had been something. So the team first mm-hmm. and foremost, yeah. like Josh, Josh is a, an, Josh is an incredible leader to, to pushing people to drive their best at things. Mm-hmm. So we had a key component with Josh for when we started raising money. And this is, I think what became so special about it. When you're we raising money, we didn't have like high net worth friends. Yeah. So we did like a friends and family round and all of my friends that had a little bit of money were pro skaters. Mm-hmm. Same with Paul. And then we knew some snowboarders. Josh knew some surfers. So when we raised all our money and we're looking at our investor list and we're looking at our marketing budget, which was pretty much nothing, mm-hmm. and we were trying to save money, we were like, dude, all these guys have followings. Yeah. Like, and this was uh, before influencer marketing, right? And and so we're looking at going, dude, what if like we build the brand on Instagram we won't have to spend the money in our marketing budget. Like, this is yeah. like so early. So early. Like, so we're like, okay, let's just do that. So when we started the company, we created this this brand story that we were going to push through everyone's following. And they were going to speak it authentic to them. But all of these guys fit this grand vision of what St. Archer was, this California lifestyle and the way we looked at it, mm-hmm. which was surf, skate, snow, music, art, culture. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you mix that with all these people coming together, pushing on social media before there were ambassadors, influencers. And the brand just – it exploded digitally. Uh-huh. So from the point of our business, we could never keep up with the demand that we were spreading. Right? We had a worldwide demand before we ever opened doors. So crazy. So it was like we were in this like such this special opportunity where it was just going nuts. And then like we would do uh, we would do uh, nights at the brewery where like ambassadors, pro athletes would come and serve beers. Right. Of course, like, that had never been done. Remember, that. Josh? That was that was Josh's idea. That was so good. He was like, "Dude, how crazy would it be? Like, if I were a kid, I walked up to a beer, uh, up to a brewery, and Taylor Knox was pouring my beer. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we were like, "Dude, let's do this." And that spread like wildfire. That's we'd so do cool. these nights, and we'd post them on Instagram. We have lines out the back, and it was just a really special time. And then Josh was also. Uh, 
uh, an agent or a manager. And so he's he has a gift to, like, drive value up, <laughs> right? He is so good at selling things. So, like, when it came time to, like, us getting offers, dude, he was he was a, the big reason why we ended up getting a multiple bigger than uh, I think we would have got without him. So it was just, a, you know, and our brewers were amazing. I mean, it was just everyone knew their role, and uh, we had a, just a phenomenal team. It was, like— What's your biggest takeaway from like just the whole experience? Oh gosh, uh, <sighs> there were so many, dude. There were so many. I think it's funny, man. Paul and I talk about this all the time. If we knew what we knew after Saint Archer when we started it, we probably never would have started it because we were so naive to what it took to start a business, the risks that it, all of it. That like I, hear that I don't know if we would have done it. The time. Yeah. 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 Like we were just like, yeah, let's just go for yeah, it. Yeah, like what? big deal. Yeah, like, let's just, <laughs> let's just, dude, we could yeah. just raise eight million bucks and be like totally liable for the whole thing. Like, whatever, we got this. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then realizing how hard it is to launch a brand. It is incredibly hard to get something from nothing to something. Yeah. So it's like you know, you guys had athletes and things like that. Like it's like most people have to have the marketing budget because they can't. They gotta get it. It's gotta yeah, no, it. totally. And then you 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 fast forward to now, right? Influencer marketing is like not the same, no. and and that whole thing I think is like broken right now. So no. you can't launch a business that way. It's like, it's just it's very difficult now, right? yeah. to launch something. And so you know, uh, I mean, dude, we learned so much, dude, so much. Yeah, it's funny because um, that that you say that because a lot of companies, I don't think even people realize. If they would have gone back, they would never would have started them. Like big companies. No, like, totally. Like like look at Uber. They started it, sold it, yeah, then bought it back. Yeah. Now for what seventy five million now it's worth sixty, eighty billion. Yeah. It just wasn't working. It's yeah. just like simple things. Yeah. Totally. I mean, there's things we probably done now if we'd have started it, we probably never would have done. I think that's the thing though, is like when you are an entrepreneur or you know, trying to start a business you kind of have to have that like mentality that you're just kind of like throwing it against the wall. Like you're going to do it as, as well as you can and like yeah. do all the research, but you're kind of like going all out. Like there, there's, totally are. yeah, it, the, the people who kind of try to plan it and wait until it's perfect. Like we know people like that, that yeah. are like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to, I got to just like plan and I got to like do more research. They never end up starting. And then by yeah. the time they do, it's too late. Yeah. So there is like a timing thing 100%. too. Like if you would have thought about St. Archer for a couple of years trying to get been, all the pieces right, yep. then influencer marketing just, wouldn't have been. Just yeah. jumped right in the water and yeah. said, let's swim, go. That's my mentality though. Yeah. That's what I do with That's everything. And and speaking to like that group, because I agree with you, they're out there. Mm -hmm. The, the, uh, gosh, analysis paralysis. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. The, the thing is, and what I, if anyone's struggling with this, that is like that, you need to know that when you go and do something, regardless of you having a plan or not, it never sticks to plan no. ever. No. Right. Even from an idea. Never. Like if you think of an idea, like when you start something, you have one idea by the time, you know, two years, two years into you doing it, it's usually changed into something completely different. Yep. Right. You don't really find out who you are till year two. So knowing that, why are you going to put together this per perfect plan and jump into something that will never be that mm -hmm. plan? Just go do it. You know? So that's always been my view. And also, too, when you don't have experience doing something, like you said, and you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to do this step, and then I got to go to this step, and then I go that next step, it's just like when you build a house, too. Like, 
you look at your plans and you think you have it all laid out perfectly. And yeah. as it starts yeah, going up, you're budget. like, that's you weird. Yeah. Why yeah. would I put yeah. that there? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take 12 months. It costs a million bucks. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> 18. Totally. Yeah, yeah, right. And then just like, like the weird little things that you like, you stand inside the house and what made sense on paper, yeah. like you're yeah. like, that makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, we're not doing, we got to change it. So yeah. it's just nothing ever goes according to plan nothing. and you can't foresee things that are going to pop up. No, nothing. It's funny. I, um, before Crystal and I, we pretty much, our career has been referrals. So we never did any marketing, like nothing. And so when I was like, okay, we're going to start doing marketing. She's like, you got to listen to this guy, Gary Vee. I wasn't even on Instagram. I was like, who's this guy? So I started listening. I'm like, damn, this guy's great. So I was like, so I was like, she's like, hey, we got to go to this 4D thing. So I go out, spend the money, spend the day with Gary, the 4D. And I'm sitting there and everybody's in the room, like think he's going to tell you something special, right? Just like everybody, right? Just like. And I was like, he's, so I tell him my story. He's like, okay, so, so what do you want? I'm like, well, what do I do? He's like, just go do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, just whatever you know about real estate, what you love, what, just tell, just get on, just start talking about it. He's like, just fucking do it. I'm like, okay. So I was like, what did you get away? I'm like, just start, just do it. So I came back here. I'm like, okay, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Start, just start doing it. We started doing podcasts. This. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Just figure it out. Like, and I didn't really think about it, but that's why I tell people, like, all these guys, it's like the guys that move or just do it. <laughs> Figure out this shit later and go. And it was like, Dude. like, Crystal, we literally bought a house or one of our first investments. We did FHA, put 3.5% down. If we would have been back, we would have never probably done this deal. We get, we were way in our heads. We just got lucky. The market was super low. We did, we did really well. But I'm like... It was a nightmare. We were into this. Like, what are we doing? We just kept going. And the going. neighbor sued us. I mean, we had to, you know, like all of it. Yeah. And going and we just figured yeah. out. And that's just like you said, yeah. that's how we are. And that's how we got here. I just tell people like, just, we just do. And, yeah. that, and that's the worst thing to do sometimes. Just you get in front of yourself and you just get nowhere. Yeah. And you two years later, like, well, we're still thinking about yeah. thinking about it. Like, yeah. so I totally agree. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem for people. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And then are some family member or somebody talks you out of it? Well, they're the worst, it. man. The family members are the ones that have <laughs> yeah. the most impact on us, and they're typically the ones that stop us from doing anything. Who was that guy? Um, there was that podcast that the guy said, I think it's such a good thing. It's like he said, you, when you get in your car and you turn the, on the headlights, like – and it's dark outside, you don't go, like, I can't see my whole path. Like, I'm driving from here to the grocery <laughs> yeah, store. Yeah, like, he's um Christian guy. Nope. He's, yeah. uh, he used to be a pastor. John writer. Maxwell. Oh, yeah. So, so but, one of his quotes yeah. says is that um, he's like, people are like car lights. You can only, the car lights are to design to go through, so you can see 300 feet ahead. But what he doesn't realize is that people start driving and they're so scared because they can't see beyond that car light, but they know they got to swerve around a corner and go here. It's like you're driving Decker Canyon, but you're like right in front of you, and you know we're going through Decker Canyon, and they never get started because they're so worried about I don't know what how Decker Canyon's what laid a great out. Analogy. If you guys don't yeah. know Decker Canyon, but it's like the craziest, windiest road, so they never get started because they're so worried about getting down the Malibu at the end. Phenomenal analogy. So I actually it's one of my favorite quotes, and he just says like, "We're stuck at where the." 300 feet ahead of us when we're really like I'm more like I got two miles to go here yeah that's a phenomenal analogy that's yeah so good it was really cool because it's like it, it's it's true you trust that your car is going to get you to wherever you need to go yeah. and you're not like not going anywhere because you can't see yeah the and end we, result look, we have no confidence in yeah. ourselves like look yeah. if we're driving 300 feet and a rock cuts in front of us go around the rock yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right yeah. that's the same thing with business same thing yeah. in real estate like look have confidence that nothing is going to be a straight line and you're going to be able to turn around it yeah right yeah 
Yeah, I love that. Oh, so I'm going to use that. I'm um, definitely going to use that. I'll send you the exact quote. Please do. It's actually, we have it on Instagram. Yeah. That's a phenomenal um, one. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I posted that. I love that. Um, so now we get to talk about what we're all in love with here, okay. uh, which I love, which is um, real estate. Yeah. So we've done the skateboarding, the St. Archard, and I know during this time there's been the real estate in, mm-hmm. but now real estate is like, it's your game, it's your passion, it's your mm-hmm. love, which is ours, which is, I just love sitting down and talking about this. So you talk about just how you kind of got started in, obviously we know why, but, um, and then how community capital came up and just like where you are right now with it. Yeah. So basically, so Randy, uh, my introduction into financial literacy and investing, um, he was a big role. in even when I started my first business, I didn't know how to start a business. So I'd bring it to him. How do I do this? Well, you have to have a business plan and this yeah. is the formation. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then he would show me and then I would create and then go do. With St. Archer, same thing. We didn't know how to raise money. We went to Randy's office, me, Randy, Paul. Randy, how do we raise money? Right? I didn't know what a PPM was. I didn't know what a subagreement yeah. was. I didn't even know what an investor meant or what they <laughs> asked for in that setting. Yeah, like yeah. what do I have to do for these people right? to give me money? And so he basically showed us how to set everything up, put everything in order, and then we went out and did it, right? So so he's been really instrumental in, in me learning all of this stuff. So my career ends – uh, I'm going through this, like, what the hell do I do? Who am I? I also recognize that I was in a very fortunate situation of I was financially in a place where I didn't have to figure out what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I was I only had to worry about the emotional shit, right? Yeah. And, and it was like a blessing, but like also felt very alienating as well. And like with skating, we're so community-based. Like, dude, when I go to a spot, I went with 20 of my friends. It was all about all of us together. We win together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I found my career ending and felt the exact opposite of that. Like I'm on an island by myself and like the majority of my friends don't get to be over here. That, that, that was everything I was not. Mm-hmm. And so I started like trying to figure out how I could get everyone over to, to this experience that I was having. And when I looked at kind of my last 15 years at it, like, yes, being an entrepreneur helped put money in my side, starting companies. But really the position I was in was due to creating a vehicle that created passive income for me and real estate being that thing that I always trusted to put the majority of my money to work in. So I came up with this idea of like, okay, if I'm going to help these guys kind of be over here, I need to teach them about not only in investing money, living below your means, the fact that our careers aren't always going to move forward. We're not always going to be relevant. So you need to plan while you're still of influence, right? Everybody tries to plan when the, when the wheels fall off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I came up with this idea to start this company, Commune Capital. And you know, I had to this point, I, I knew how to start a business. I knew how to launch a business. I knew how to raise money. I did not, how to, I did not know how to run a real estate fund, Right. So what do I do? I build out this deck, my whole vision. I bring it to Randy. Randy, <laughs> you're my guy. Yeah. You've run real estate funds. I've invested with you for the last 15 years. What do I need to know to do this? And this was the first time he did not go, this is what you do, go do it. He went, I think we should do this one together. And so he ended up, the guy who's That's my awesome. biggest mentor, ended up becoming my partner. That's awesome. And That's yeah, so cool. it was really cool how the company formed. And, and it's really the idea that, like, I'm a big believer in all of us together. That's what mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed, being surrounded by people I care about. And if I win, I want us all to win. If I lose, I want us all to lose. I'm, I'm in this with you guys. So 
So that is the true vision of our company, whether you're a tenant in our apartment, whether you're an investor, whether you're a manager. I want everyone to have something beyond an investment or beyond a home. I want it to be a community. And that's really where the whole thing was birthed. And and we could talk about the the inner workings of real estate investing and, and why I like that. But as far as the company, uh, that's our mission, my mission, why I'm so obsessed with it, just growing out this vision. So do you have um, – are you just with – uh, accredited, non-accredited, where are you guys at with who you take? This is going to set you me off. You need some more water? <laughs> so, Monty uh, needs another water. <laughs> right now with this fund, and this is something that I didn't realize was going to be such a challenge when I started it, talking about jumping in, uh, we can only have accredited investors, which is challenging. It's the one thing I, I understand but don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you look at, like let's just say pro skateboarding, for example, there's maybe 10 pro skateboarders that are accredited investors. Yeah. So out of the 200 pros, I only get to have 10? This That's, isn't really helping my yeah, cause. Yeah, you're like, this is kind of, that was my point. It's bullshit, yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but to tell you the truth, I didn't, it, look, it's like you figure it out as you jump in. It's like we're going to do a reggae offering where, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say it like that. We plan on doing a reggae offering at some point. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that will get rid of accredited investors. Um but yeah, right now it's accredited only, which is I don't love. Yeah, I know Grant finally got non-accredited, but it seems like that was a nightmare. It's hard. It's like, dude, we're we're dude. The SEC is like heavily regulated on what we do, uh, and so that's been a learning curve as well. Like, are look, you, I, are you going down that path to try to get that? A reggae. The non-accredited. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes time, huh? It. You know what? It, yes, but not as much as it used to. Okay. Yeah, Grant actually set me up with the uh, attorney that did his fund. Nice. So uh, we now know what it's going to take, time frame, cost, and everything. And probably not cheap. You know what? It's gotten cheaper. Like the quotes that we were getting a year ago are way higher than what they are now. The time frame on getting approved is shorter. Um, but it's it's. Admin goes up and it, it becomes a different beast, mm-hmm. right? You're dealing with a lot of investors now. So there's a lot of, like even on the compliance side, a lot of these things become third party. It's not in-house anymore. And they, and you know, when you have accredited, we always talk about that. Some of these people understand, you know, they, have they know how worth, investments go. Yeah. They understand money a little bit more. When somebody's like, hey, Mikey, here's my 25 grand. You're kind of like, you're hoping it's like, you know, you, you know, it's a different. It's like everything different. they've saved up. And then when they go through a crisis and they try to get their money back. And yes. it's kind it, of a nightmare. hundred yeah. percent. And to add to that, my partners are financial managers. So they yeah. have a different type of requirements being that they manage money, the fiduciary oh duties. Yeah. So yeah. we are regulated beyond like a grant. It's like stuff like that. Yeah. Like that is a – we have to follow different guidelines. Even like to the point of like what people allocate in their portfolio of what they invest into. Have to follow certain guidelines on what that percentage is and uh, it's, tr- it's tricky. It's not easy. Yeah. So yeah, like when you start dealing with people that maybe aren't as sophisticated, you you can't put them in a position where they don't understand what they're doing and give you yep. something. Right? The thing is, like, look, I totally believe in real estate investing, mm-hmm. but I also understand that it is a l- illiquid investment, mm-hmm. and life throws you curveballs that you're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think you should always have money set aside for a rainy day in case something happens. Yep. And I think there's a lot of people that don't do that. So mm-hmm. if they put all their money in something and then something happens in their life and they need money, they can't call you and go, hey, man, I need my principal back. Yeah. Well, it's sorry. It's locked up. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. there, there's, there's a big responsibility. And I think all of our ends, when you bring on investors, it's a 
it's a different thing. You're managing their best interest yep. beyond yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, so you have, I'm guessing you have your own deals outside of, out of community capital and then you have your money inside or you have your own investments outside or you kind of just all in on community. Uh, so that's tricky too, though. It's right? very tricky. Yeah. Yes. So I have all my previous real estate investments prior to commune. Okay. Uh, now I have a non-compete with my own company. <laughs> so I can't go take a building for myself that would be a better fit for the company. The company gets first priority always. So uh, I could invest into something that maybe doesn't work for Commune, uh, but we all know how much work it takes to do it on the side and starting a business. Right now, the whole focus is building this fund. Cool. And then I have money inside the fund as well. Yeah. So this is acting as an investment for me, not only on the management side, but uh, also as the mm -hmm. investor. Mm -hmm. And then, so what do you guys, I mean, so this is where we dive into what do you guys, so what asset classes are you guys investing or looking at right now? Are yeah. attracted to these days? Yeah. So this fund for us is multifamily or mixed use okay. is really the primary focus. Okay. Uh, and that means two things. We will rehab. So we have a project right now that we finished in Long Beach that was a, a deep value add play. So, Super cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. It was a, a you know, run down class C property. Um, that we we put a, a big amount of money into it. We I mean we tore the thing down to the studs, and and now we're looking at basically an A minus comp. So it it, it wow. jumped up pretty pretty so significantly. Put a lot of money in. We put a lot of money in. Yeah, we put a lot of money in. Um, and then we have a deal right now we're working on in Ohio that was it's a repurposed deal. We bought a, a Sears building that we're going to knock down. We're going to develop on it. Wow. So that will be a whole different thing. Yeah, wow. that one's going to be. Uh, It'll be 10,000 square feet of retail and then almost 400 units of living above. And we have like a park and two lots for restaurants. Wow. And Holy Yeah, God. so that That's one's a, a larger project. one. That was a big project. It's a lot bigger than the Long Beach Rentals. One. Rentals, yeah. Like luxury then or more? No, that one's not luxury no. for the environment. For the area that we're buying in, it's a, a – B. Yeah, it would – so who would be a good comp for something out here? It's – Like an archstone or something? Yeah. But above – it's not it's not top end luxury, okay. but it's not B. It, it's almost like a nicer. Some of the stuff Grant buys because Grant doesn't buy a. He buys like you're gonna move from an, the high rise to here. Right? Yes, like, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Like I was downtown paying three grand a month. I my I need to get to two or whatever. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, okay. but okay. it's brand new and it's yeah. nice and Clean. uh. Yep, yeah. exactly. So a different focus than Long Beach, like the Long Beach one, like. Rents are steep. Yeah. You know, this one won't be that. It'll okay. be a lot different. But wow. new new product. So when you're going out and finding properties, do you, are you guys working with tons of brokers? Or how do you, how many deals are you guys looking at all the time? That's a great question. So uh, because the Ohio project was is pretty big and the amount of capital that we were raising for it is pretty significant, we weren't looking at a ton of deals while we were going through that. So with that said, we have an area that we like buying. So we work with a broker in that area. Or there's sometimes we get brought deals from developers that mm -hmm. we end up JVing on. That's what the Ohio deal ended up being. And then we're looking at some properties. Uh, let's see. I've looked at a lot in Atlanta that came through a couple brokers. Okay. Looking, We talked earlier in OKC that was a broker. Mm -hmm. um, mainly brokers, I would say. And how are you guys finding, like, why are you picking certain states, fundamentals, data? Demographics. So it all so it all goes back to community, right? It, okay. it we target what type of community that we want to create, and then we look for an area where that person exists, 
right? So if it's like, like I'm really drawn towards like the youth, right? Like I, I, my generation, yeah, I I mean, I'm of it. So it's like, I'm fascinated with this whole group that has a completely different outlook on what they want in like an American dream for a sense, right? Yeah. Like I was always told you own your house. This whole generation is going, I don't want to own, own my house. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, you know, I'm, I like following where they're headed and, and building, building communities in areas where they're moving to. A lot of people are moving out of California. Yep. Like look at like, dude, Idaho. Boise is becoming yeah. insane. Like I like going to where they're going and creating places that they want to look at beyond just the place they live. Almost like how, like we'd wear a shirt, like a Supreme shirt, right? Like yeah. I wear, this is this makes me feel rad. I'm going to represent it. I want the apartment to feel like that for that person. So we target where they're headed. Um, the Ohio one's a little different than that, I will say. Uh, the Ohio one's more of a conventional. We found a deal that we got for dirt cheap with a okay. huge upside that cash flows like really well. Yeah. And my partner's being incredibly conservative and – Wanting to act on a good deal, that was one. They're like, you know what? Yeah. We're not going to pass this up. But yeah. that one's a little different than the others. That's not – that's like a little outside your box, but it was such a good opportunity. You're like, we got to jump on it. Yes. Like, yeah, that one – we found a community where there's a ton of people going into work that aren't living there, and there's no new product. There's really a shortage of areas to live. So we felt like it was a great opportunity where we found something that had a huge upside, that it would be a good, good time to participate there. But it's different than – or at least me, like, you know, loving creating these, like, crazy cool, like, areas to live in these, yeah. you know, so. So um, what's your, like, what's your role in Commune? Because I know you're <sighs> partner with Randy. So how, how do you guys divide yeah. up your roles? <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot of roles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like any new company, we're all doing a lot so of things. So many jobs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. for my role right now, I'm spending a lot of time raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, I oversee everything that Everything from uh, any marketing, mm-hmm. so what the brand looks like, any content we create, vision of that. Um, gosh, as far as where we buy, um, I, I'm doing a lot right now. Yeah. Um, and then we have when we do deals like someone like Long Beach, we we have somebody that oversees that whole project. Mm-hmm. So Jerry, who is my partner and also our CFO. You know, he'll kind of man the budgeting and all the so where the money's going. Kind of Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Randy is uh, Randy's more big picture on this one. Like mm-hmm. him and I spend a lot of time kind of going over where we want the brand to go and what we're mm-hmm. trying to accomplish. But a big part of my time right now is spent raising money, which I don't love doing, but it's, it's part of what we have to do. You got to do it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do but, you guys have property managers? Or we do. Okay. Yeah. So you're not managing in-house? No, okay. no, not yet. I think we will, uh, mm-hmm. but okay. but we're not as we're not big enough yet to have our own property management. It, it does make sense once you get to a certain level of yeah. ownership, yeah. where like if you want to take it in-house, it's easier because you have scale. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, it probably becomes more of a. Otherwise, you end headache. up spending too much time managing. Well, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, money not growing. I yeah. think you're totally right. You get to a certain point where it makes mm-hmm. sense to do it. It doesn't make sense for us yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling it, it will. Yeah. And I'm guessing with your influence, I mean, influence on Instagram and, you know, your background and who you know, raising capital, is it you're getting in front of a lot of people? You You know what's funny? Is it tougher? Well, it's – I was joking about this with someone else. I've gotten so used to to getting my message or selling product out digitally, Mm -hmm. right? Like skating, like I did everything on social media. Yeah. And 
now with kind of dealing with the the regulations and the fact that 99.9% of my following is non-accredited, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I find myself doing, I'm doing it the old school way, which I, I think is very inefficient, but it's like, dude, I'm at networking events. I'm asking for referrals. I'm getting in front of new people. It's all Dinner, face-to-face. Inter- yes, stuff, yeah. right? And it's like, it, it's just so funny. Like, uh, you know, it feels so inefficient to me because I've gotten so accustomed to how it works over here. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've been working at how to implement this the way I want. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm doing it the old way, <laughs> you know. So it's a funny. It's like yeah, I'm of influence, but it's I don't want to say it doesn't help. But gosh, I'm doing it just like everyone else did do it. I think when you get to the non-accredited, I think it completely changes. Boom, I think when it goes non-accredited, like... then I get back to how I'm comfortable yep. doing it. Yeah. But now, I mean, dude, it's, it's, hey, how are you? Hey, I'd love to get together with you. This is our sword talk about it. All the follow-up. Yeah. It is a it is a like in-person thing right now. Yeah. How do you guys um, with where are we at in the market? How yeah, you, it's difficult. How, how is it? Is it difficult to find deals now? It's really difficult. I mean. It, it's difficult if you stick to to only buying when it makes sense for your model, yeah. right? And we're in a time where it is high and you have a lot of people buying deals that they shouldn't be buying, right? So we right. find ourselves going, why are you paying that? Why are you paying that? And you almost feel this verge to go, maybe I could offer more, but we have to, no, we can't do that. It doesn't fit our deal. So, dude, we're very patient. We look through a lot of deals and pass on a ton and mm-hmm. – uh, you know, when we find something that works, we try to get it, but we won't overdo ourselves to where it doesn't make sense. Stick yeah, into your guns. I think that's the same. I mean, e- even if you're not syndicating, it's the same because people ask me now too, can you ever buy, you know, does it make sense to buy right now? I'm like, you just need to stick to, like, you have a certain thing that you're looking for. Like, you don't bend. Yep. You have to kind of be stuck on it because the other thing too is that some of these deals come back on the market and they fall out and fall out and fall out. And you know that there's those buyers out there that just offer full price so they can lock it up and then come back for a retrade. Totally. Yeah. And that's the one thing that we'll say though, is if we're not coming in at full price, it's like, I'm not here to play games. Like I'm not going to go do my inspection and then like nitpick you so that I can get down to this like target price that I actually have in my head. Yeah. I'm not going to play that game with you. This is straight up. Like unless something totally weird out of left field comes up. Yeah. Yeah, Like you can count on me. we're on, we're yeah. on the same page. I think that's dangerous because then you're not. Look, in, in what we do, everything's reputation based, uh, right? Sure. So don't put yourself in a position where they, you have a bad reputation because no one will work with you. Yep. Right. So you, I'm not saying you say yes to everything. You do not do that. No. But you just make it very clear what your intentions are and how you operate, and then stick to it. Yep. Right. Don't be known as the retraders. No one's going to want to do a deal with you. Nope. So typically, what we do on that end, if they're asking this. We do the numbers based on that. Yeah. And then in our due diligence uh, time, if we find something that we have to bring up and ask for a cost reduction because it's an issue, we'll ask for it. Yeah. But we don't – like if somebody's asking $8 million, we don't do our numbers off seven five. going, we're going to get under contract and negotiate <laughs> exactly. this thing down five hundred grand for it to make sense. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a terrible move. Like you buy it either way unless the problems are so big. And that's kind of the way we do it too is like I know that people are locking stuff up and like thinking they're just going to like, oh, let me test for this and that other thing. And then now I can screw it up for the next buyer who comes in because I have this goal in my mind. Well, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's – Dude, just think about what it's going to say for you after the deal, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, we know that it's bad for a building to go out of escrow, right? Yeah. The, the, 
the seller, that's an issue for them. Yep. So don't take advantage of them and use that as leverage on your side. Right. It's going to screw you for the next deal. Right. Real estate's all about longevity. It is. Right? Put yourself in a position where people want to work with you yep. so that you can grow your portfolio. We tell people that. Like, the, you know, a lot of, we get lucky because we get a lot of off-market deals. We yep. know the brokers. But I said it's because sometimes the last deal we bought, they, were, they had somebody. They found out we were coming in. They said, let's go with them. Because yeah. they know, and they I, know said, that I tell people, why am I getting off-market deals? I say, because you're a pain in the ass. Totally. Nobody nobody wants to bring you a deal when when they got a seller. The seller wants to be easy when you're a pain in the ass. Well, yeah, think about the broker, right? This is uh, a big one. How do brokers make money? When they deals. sell yes. a deal, yeah. right? So if they get a deal, they're going to look at all the people they know, and they're going to go with the, the person who closes because they make money. Yep. So it's like, dude, be honest with yourself. Are you a pain in the ass? Yes. Okay, you just took yourself off the list for any broker, so you yep. better go find your deals yourself, yep. right? It's like or you're you're buying the expensive deals that nobody wants. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now you're in loop at buying deals. You're like this is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Um, so what? I know this is getting detailed, but I wanted to ask you, what type of debt are you guys putting on these properties? I'm guessing it's non-recourse. All non has I, yeah, to be. Yeah. Are you yeah. doing Fannie or bank? Or? Depends on our structure. For something like Long, uh, Beach. Long Beach, we did a bridge loan. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we did a bridge loan that will get us into a conventional once mm -hmm. we're stabilized. Probably more of like a Fannie or what do you uh, Right now we're looking at a Freddie Fannie uh, and also looking at HUD financing. I'm not saying we're going to go down that path, but we have been entertaining it. Uh, but usually Freddie Fannie. Are you doing I.O.? Are we doing I.O.? Interest only or oh, oh, um, gosh, you know, it depends on, it depends. The, the interest only, it, it puts you in a position of cash flowing better, mm -hmm. but I don't love it okay. personally. We're, uh, look, we're buy and hold. We like holding these things for a long time. So uh, as much as I don't want to say this, this is the reality. We look at every deal as an individual deal that might look different than the other. I agree. So I would say there's some situations where we, w we will go interest only. There's some where we won't, uh, but it depends. Yeah, we're doing I.O. We're kind of... On everything? Yeah. Just to like get cut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just... I don't know. I kind of think like the way Grant says is you're, you put your... You know, we bought the deal last deal. We put $2 million down. I want to return on my $2 million. I don't care about... Because we'll probably trade up out of it. Eventually, like you said, is... You got to land in deals. You want to hold them. Yep. You don't want to just retrain. Well, also, land. we're so. not going like max leverage or anything like that, too. It's like we put down what do you like. Guys What's it? We're, we're, we put like 35% down, you know? Oh, so if you're getting 65% yeah. LTV, I feel like that makes sense to do interest only. I'm not going to go to like 75% loan to value and then try to get the full term IO on that because I feel like that's more risky. So if I put more cash into the deal up front, I feel kind of like, okay, now I should get some cash flow back. I feel like it's conservative enough if there was some sort of a correction or something yeah. like that, you know? So, I mean, I think it, it's true. I don't, I don't think if I was buying deals and doing max leverage, that I'd be out there trying to get interest only on everything. I think it depends on where the building is also. Yeah. Like something like California, not we're faced lose. with trying to figure out how to cash flow something. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's not necessarily the case in the Midwest. Right. Yeah. You know? And I don't think you'd have an easy time trying to do all that in the Midwest either. Like we have access to some of the best financing here. Mm -hmm. You know, in California, we have the cream of the crop of every kind of – everybody wants to give yes, you a sure. loan on mm -hmm. your building yeah. here. Yeah. So it's like you don't necessarily have to take like higher rates. Like we have everything available to us. So mm -hmm. – and that's because we have a really solid market. Like you can't lose yeah. here really. Like you it, you have to do something really dumb in order to lose on an apartment building 
in like San Diego, Gosh, LA. I feel like there's going to be people that are going to lose here. Well, it's going to happen for sure. Deals. Yeah, they're buying. Yeah, yes. They're buying and, dumb and, and, deals. Well, and honestly, I'm seeing it with a lot of syndicators because the problem is some of these syndicators are going out and raising money and they don't really understand deal fundamentals. So they are overpaying. They're that person who comes in at full price every time. Thinking nothing's going to change. Goes and gets capital. interest only. Yep. Goes and does like has these crazy rents that they need to get in these neighborhoods. They're never going to get it yeah. for. And then I think those guys are definitely going to have problems. Yeah. Like we've already seen it a couple of times. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, I get nervous sometimes yeah. when I see people who don't know what they're doing. I agree. I syndicating totally agree. deals. Like they're not doing enough to the building to like ask those kind of rents. Yeah. Or it's so not even in a market they could. And it's like, you know? yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, or they're over improving in a market where it's like you didn't like the one we bought is we don't need to do we wouldn't do crazy improvements it doesn't make sense yeah it's more of a you call it a workforce housing workforce housing yeah. right yeah. Yeah. so it's more of a cash flow bread and butter um, as we're here in North Park is you go like you are making really nice and trendy and cool people are like oh I want to live here they're gonna pay more yeah there you can do that you're not gonna really see the return so totally hundred percent and i think people are trying to do some of these areas like oh we're supposed to get two grand we got 1800 whoops it's like yeah yes <laughs> yes 100 like, percent. i agree are you so is your plan to keep the properties you're buying now just long term yes not sell uh-uh yeah so or could, desire. well okay it goes back to like so we are buy and hold but we look at a property every year in our portfolio and decide what's the best for the investor uh, it typically ends up being holding uh, but we consider selling each one every year. I don't know. It, it's if a you sell. Would you exchange? You're gonna cash. Well, out? I would always like to exchange, uh, considering there's a deal that we like that we can exchange into. Yeah. Sometimes you think sometimes you could sell one and just take the cash and pay back investors, and well, that's not really the model that you're trying to present to. Well, that's, that's a great question. So let's use Long, Long Beach for example, right? And the fact that our Ohio deal is a different type of – it's a development deal. So I'd say in a perfect world, I'd love to exchange out of Long Beach and go into Ohio, but we can't do that. We own the property, and you you can't – if you exchange, I believe, if you exchange something like uh, Long Beach into Ohio, it has to be done once the building is being developed or developed as a tick structure, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And this is not my expertise on this side. So it's hard for us. Like, yeah, if there's another deal in Long Beach that we want to do that fits our model that we can exchange into, I want to exchange into it. But if it doesn't exist, I'm not going to put it into something that doesn't work for us. We would end up having to pay the gains, give it back to investors. But we try to not. Yeah, because Ohio, you're probably getting like, what are you getting, HUD financing that for the build-out? Or- we're working at that right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a massive uh, It's a big project, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're talking about – HUD is in the conversation, but our capital stack is not complete yet. We haven't actually – we haven't started going down that path yet. Oh, okay. We need to get all the planning done first. Oh, so you basically bought the dirt. Bought the building, you're going to knock it down. Yes. And then you got to get the plans. Then yeah. you got to go. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we bought, bought the building, bought – Bought the land, bought the building. We're getting through all our entitlements and permits, all city approval, and then once that's done, then go get the loan. Yes, and then we get to work. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. To work. 
Working with cities is not You easy. have to have patience. It's really funny to you because I think the, mental- the mentality of doing a development versus owning apartments is so different because you have to have so much patience. Yes, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, and you're working with more people. And you don't get that instant gratification like when you rehab an like apartment you building or, you know, yes, yeah. Long Beach was, yeah, yeah you yeah. Long Beach were like, oh, we got this yeah, thing. We're in so here. Fun. This is ours. You know, yeah. it's quick. It's fun. No, it's longer. Yeah. It's definitely is that longer. Your thing? Is that your thing, like the Long Beach, like take the dilapidated building and just turn it and make it your like gem like is um, that your, your kind of I I like that model because I like finding something that other people view as ugly or yeah. worthless and yeah. kind of creating a diamond out of a rough I like that yeah um, but you know I'm really intrigued by like you know areas where there's like a rundown Sears building that all they see is a Sears building creating a whole community out of it I, I like both that is I just, so cool too I think yeah. the rehab part is more creative yeah. And that's what I like about it. Like yeah. b- building new buildings is, I mean, you've seen it. It doesn't have the character. No. no. You know, even when you try to impersonate it and you have like the brick exposed, it's yeah. not the same. Yeah. So I like, I like parts of the rehab better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, both are cool. Where do you want, where do you, where do you want to go with community? Like how big do you want to get this? Is it endless or? <laughs> that's such a good question. This. That's such a good question. There's two things that I'm trying to accomplish by doing it. So I think it depends on what the problem at hand is. One, it like I have a you know, I, I have a passion to help athletes. Which you know, so on there's one side it's like, okay, there's eighty percent of athletes that are going bankrupt. I need to change that. Yeah. If I can get that down to twenty or ten, that's that's what I'm trying to gear. And it, but there's a part of it I don't care if they do it with me or with someone else. Right. There's just educate do it. just do it. Yeah. Right. As far as like the fund or the size of what we're trying to do Gosh, man, I don't know where the ceiling is. Yeah. I know like someone like Grant's going to say, if you don't know where you're headed, if you don't have an exact number on where you're headed, you don't know exact, truly where you're going, right? But like, dude, honestly, uh, I, don't, I don't have the number. It could be a billion dollars. It could be half a billion dollars. It's less about that for me. I love the journey of trying yeah. to build this thing in the vision I'm trying to accomplish. And I the agree. size is, is less important for me. Yeah. It's more about the purpose I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, and I don't know like a person basis. Oh, I want to build 400 communities. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think too, because I've tried to kind of subscribe to that. I'm like, okay, let me try that out because, you know, Grant's uh, accomplished really amazing things. And I think we all have different ways of getting to where we want to go. Too. I think I, I tend to do better with like micro goals. Like, okay, yeah. this is where I want to be in three months from now. Or this is what I want to do this year. Yeah. Rather than like, I want to own 10,000 units and be a yeah. billionaire. Like for me, I'm like, okay, but there's so many steps that you need to take to get there yeah and you kind of do need to enjoy the journey because otherwise what's it all about you know totally and i think if it's something it's more maybe simple if it's all about the unit size yeah i want to own two thousand units okay that's it for me like i am more passion driven yeah it that has to be a bigger you have to have a cause at hand to make me become obsessed with what i'm doing yeah it's less about the the number of units yeah It's more about this. How many people you can help? Exactly, and like, dude, you want me to put a number on that? Sorry, dude, that's impossible. (laughs) You know. So, uh, what's next for you? What what what's next over the next couple years? I mean, I know you're. I notice now you're doing. Seems like you're doing a lot more speaking. Yeah. Kind of in that little circuit where a lot of the guys are, which is cool. Yeah. I I feel like that group of guys that's kind of going around is really trying to help the average person like really understand because they can see their life and how things are understand like if you want to get out of that nine to five or this there is alternatives and they're showing how they do it their lifestyle i think that's one cool thing about social media is people get to see how people wake up and live and work and how the hustle is and 
um, and marketing and Instagram and all this stuff is becoming so huge and people can really, if you really want to, like we said, you can't do everything, but if you want to start a business and do something, it's pretty easy now. You have access to so much. Software. We're all good at something that yes. can be sold, totally. right? And yeah. we're all salespeople in our life. Yeah. Even if you go like, I suck at sales. I'm like, that that's BS because we've all sold somebody on something, whether yeah. it's like your selling. wife to sell the yeah. house or it's yeah. to, you know, like yeah. go out to dinner, the, your favorite place. Totally. Like we're all selling every oh, day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, seriously, yeah. 90% of my job now is selling. Yeah. Like raising money is selling. I was never yeah. a sales guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. I, I agree with you. And you can do it all from your phone now. Yep. You should be able to do it from your phone. I'm out here meeting in person, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think, well, for me, it's like, gosh, from a, from a business, like from our, our fund standpoint on like buildings, we're looking at two buildings right now that like I would be really stoked if we end up getting and had two, two more projects. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to educate people, even through like a content basis. Like we have a big desire to create content that might help somebody empower them to look at money differently, look at investing differently. And speaking just became the like in-person way to accomplish it, similar to like how contests were for skating. Right, like skating for us was all about like video parts, which then became social media, and it was so digital heavy. But then the contest was the moment where we got to be in front of people in reality. And speaking to me is like the comparison now. Like everything I'm doing is social media, and people see me digitally. And then when I speak to them at a whatever a conference, it's like, oh yeah, that's like the contest. They get to see me. We talk in real life. So I've been doing that a little bit more just because I think it's fun, and uh, I'm able to connect with people differently than mm-hmm. than social. Are you still delivering the same message when you speak? It's about like no, it's the I, the, okay. the speeches I've done have been uh, I, I haven't I don't have one speech I'm delivering at all these okay. conferences. It depends on who I'm speaking to. Some want to talk about marketing influence. Some maybe want to talk about yeah. So the, yeah, like, one exactly yeah, hundred percent. Are you a event. planner or are you more off the cuff? Ooh, I'm a kind of a hybrid of the two. Yeah, I, I am not a I am not a to do type of guy. Mm-hmm. Today it's gonna to be doom boom 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 boom. Tomorrow not that, but I'm more like okay, I'm I want to start speaking at events. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to start hitting people up. I need to start scheduling. I need to start locking them down. Like I I do have a process of how I do it, mm-hmm. but I it, it's a loose process. Yeah, <laughs> I would say. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, cool. That's cool. Um, honestly, I think we covered so much stuff today. It's kind yeah. of ridiculous. Thanks for spending um, so much yeah. time with us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, cool a pleasure. To, like, it's been cool to watch you, learn about you. Um, I think the reason why we just wanted to have you on here is we just share a lot of the same passions. Yeah. And um, probably now that I'm more in person, realize our personalities are probably. Yeah, different. totally. <laughs> yeah. And then I think. How, I'm a talker. I'm a people person. Yeah. <laughs> but I think how we have with our relationship, too, is I think people like us and if people are watching, if you're this type A high energy mm-hmm. um Counseling is probably even more important for you than you even know. <laughs> Honestly, I have to say that. Like, yeah. It all comes back to counseling. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if anybody out here like is listening to me going, gosh, you're a lot like me, go get help. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. big for people like us. Yeah. yeah it's it really like is. your mind's going. It's like sometimes you're just it's, just, it's too much. Sometimes. Yeah, it just doesn't turn off for us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Except so. for when his head hits the pillow. It's like, I don't know if you're the same. I'm the same way. Oh, my gosh. I'm the same I've never way. seen a person fall asleep faster. I am the same yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. My wife gets on me about that. It's like 10 minutes. I lay down 10 minutes. She's like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, <laughs> this is my only time it turns off, all right? We're all excited to spend time with you. And yeah. You're like, yeah. She's like, we just started the movie. Seriously, I was like, what? She goes, unbelievable. Like, yeah. I'm tired. She goes, you need to wake up. I'm like, no. He's yeah. like, I'm getting yelled at for sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, too. And we're on opposite cycles. Like, I'm up early. Uh, she's up late. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, like, she'll, you know, if, dude, if the opportunity arises, I'm going to sleep at 9. Yeah. And she is not stoked on that. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, you're up at 430. I'm not, I'm not touching four yet. I'm like, give me I, at I least till to. 10. Yeah. Give me 10. Yeah. Tens of, you know, I'll make it to 10, but like we get into 11, dude. Even yeah. if I, my eyes are open. Yeah. You're not getting anything out of me. No. I'm foggy. You know? <laughs> so. Cool. Thanks, I Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.